So my name is Amos Glick, and uh, I'm here with my wife, <coughs> Frida, and our 11 children. I'm sorry, 10 children. One has left already. And just a little bit about us, about the goodness of God that I'd like to share with you real briefly. So I grew up through no choice of mine and no fault of mine in a little Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, I was the second child. I was the oldest of five boys. And um, my wife grew up as um, the second child in an Amish family in White Horse, Pennsylvania. Um, and I, I just wanted to share this with you this morning of the goodness of God. My wife had a very simple prayer as, as a little child growing up. And you know God honors those little simple prayers. God delights in, in when we come to him as a child. So my wife's prayer was, she had two things. Because she was the only child other than a Down syndrome brother, only um, child that could, you know, relate and play, she wanted a big family. And so she prayed that God would give her 12 children. She wanted a big family. And she wanted to marry a farmer, right? You're going to think, well, that's weird. Why would any girl pray that she could marry a farmer? Um, maybe it is weird to you, but it wasn't to her. Did you know that God answered both of those prayers? We, there's one child that um, was miscarried, but we believe we have 12 children today, and we're very thankful for every one of them. Okay, so turn your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And thank you, Brother Timothy, for your devotional. My, I feel um, humbled by what you shared. If you would know how I feel about what he shared, I simply feel, this year more than ever before, I was like, I just don't even feel adequate to take on the position as a leader, as a servant to the church. And so, that was a, a blessing that was very kind of you, brother. And I can say the same thing for him. Timothy, um, in our congregation, is uh, one of those young men who um, you would want a hundred of. He's always looking for ways to serve. Ways to bless people. My verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Um, Paul writes a really long letter. And then he finishes it off with some exhortations. And it is this. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, and be strong. I have a, a little bit of clarification here that quit ye like men. Obviously to us seems like, wait, are we supposed to be quitters? <laughs> but it's not that at all. It simply means um, 
in the language that it was written 500 years ago, be courageous, be brave like men, be strong. And that's what I would like to um, call us to this morning as we look at Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Did you know that God uses ordinary men for extraordinary purposes? That's our God. And I was, I was thinking about this, and I was wondering, well, who was not an ordinary man? And I'd like to open it up to you just for a little bit. Who comes to your mind? Who was one of the men who were not just ordinary men in society that God used? Anyone? Joseph? And in what way was he not an ordinary man? He was strong in temptation. He, was, he went before his brethren. He forgave. He, um, there's so much that we can learn from him. He, character like um, you hardly find. Amen. But he was ordinary in the sense, would you agree, that he was a shepherd boy? Um, he wasn't born in some palace with some prestige or all kinds of status. Um, he was ordinary in the fact that he was one of many boys. Moses was one that I thought of. You know, Moses went to school. Moses knew more than any man or than, than the typical men would know of his age. Well taught, wisdom, had the best of schooling that you could imagine probably in that day. But God couldn't use him until he was in the wilderness for 40 years and humble. All right, book of Nehemiah. Um, Just, um, just before Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah. Um, so the title of my, my um, sermon is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Gifts to Meet the Out of the Ordinary Challenges. And just a little bit... Before we read here the, the timeline here, so we have Ezra. This is um, 445 BC. This is 150 years after Daniel lived and and uh, served. And this is just after Ezra. It's in a kind of strange place in our Bible. So uh, think of this a lot later than than where it's placed. We have Ezra who takes a group of people back to Jerusalem and the walls are still broken down, the gates are still burned, but here are these people back in their city and God raises up a man called Nehemiah who is the cupbearer to the king. Every day he's to 
give the king his cup of wine or whatever he wanted. <clears throat> Nehemiah um, chapter 1, and we will read a few verses here in verse or chapter 1 and then also chapter 2. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the months of Chishlu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So, the Jews that had escaped, some of the Jews um, that were gone back. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night, for the children of Israel thy servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Notice his humility there. Both I and my father's house. Israel had failed miserably. They were the chosen people of God, and, and God wanted to make them a spotlight, a nation. But because of their evil and their sin, he punished them, led them into captivity. And here they are, under servants under another kingdom. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though, they were, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And skip over to chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was set before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. <coughs> now I had not been before times sad in his presence. But previously, apparently, the king never saw Nehemiah sad or troubled. But this day, when he brought the drink to the king, he was sad. 
Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid. Nehemiah finds himself scared. The king's asking him, Well, why are you so sad? You're not sick. And he said to the king, Look at his transparency here. Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lies waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Um, I have written here in my notes, 12 years, I'm not sure if he, that's what he um, told the king that he's going to need. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over until I come unto Judah. And Nehemiah does this very intelligent or wise thing here. He he entreats the king, the world empire of his day, to to help him out. And if you know the, the story here, um, he has captains, he, he has um, men who, who will occupy him. Um, he has people who will get him wood. Let's uh, jump to verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Everything was grown up and wild and pretty sad sight if you would if you consider what Jerusalem was. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, and nor to the rest that did the work. Then I said unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem, Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem, that we may 
that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Simply means, so they set their hands for the work. Let's all pause for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning humbly and ask, Father, you would break the bread of life to us. We know that all scriptures are profitable and are given to us for instruction so that we can learn from them. We pray that you would help us this morning as we consider the time that we are living in, the state of the churches in our country, Lord, the state of our own churches as we consider sin and everything that is an abomination to you, Lord. We pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts of understanding so that we could carry a burden like Nehemiah did for your people, for your church, the bride of Christ, ultimately for your glory, Lord Jesus. May your name be lifted up, Jesus, as we, as we consider how we have been called out to be holy, be set apart, to be a light in a city, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we have um, a situation in the Old Testament here, I'd just like to draw some parallels if I can. And I want to say this before I do that. I am completely under your authority here. If, if there is anything that is not scriptural or if there is anything that I twist the scripture in, please um, correct it. Um, I do not want to leave here teaching wrong doctrine. One of the deepest desires of my heart as a pastor in exegetical teaching is to draw out from God's word and not to read into God's word. So, pray for me in that. I have not been at seminary. I am a little Amish boy who sat um, out on farm equipment watching the birds all my growing up years until I was bored stiff. Just sat there. I remember actually sitting there plowing just back and forth with my horses, back and forth. And lots of time in meditation. And, and at, at some age in my life, maybe around 15, I thought, I think I was meditating too much on the wrong things. And I thought I'm the only weird person on this planet. I thought like everybody else has it together. I was trying to figure out why am I here? What's life all about? And I, I think a lot of us sometimes go through that, maybe at that age. But nobody gave me answers and I didn't ask. But I'm very simple, but desire from the bottom of my heart to do justice to God's Word. Recently at Living Hope, we had a, um, a problem. 
We are church. We are um, um, people, right? The church is people. And I looked at the problem, and Brother Simon's in Africa. Brother Mark is laying at home healing from open heart surgery. And it was um, my turn to have a, a midweek, to do something for our midweek service. And so I decided, you know what, we're going to own this problem together as a church. And when we come together Wednesday evening, we're going to sit together and we're going to talk about this. The youth wanted to practice some songs. And so we, as parents, we sat together and we talked about our problem. Now, our problem was kind of simple, but it was a problem. And I told our people, I said, let's, let's be honest with where we are at as a church. And let's talk about our issues if we have issues. Um, it was a parent problem. It, it appeared like it's a children's problem, but it was a parenting problem. Right after the services, almost before we said amen, the little children were going the other side of the curtain and playing foursquare. And nobody liked it. No, none of the parents thought, you know, like this is a good idea. Just woof. And and still, how do we how do we address this? You know, and we all go back look. Well, whose children is it? You know, and, oh, it's not my children. We talked about this. I believe what we did is we we examine the problem or we identified the problem, and then maybe examined it a little bit, and then came up with a solution. And I think that's what Nehemiah did here. So, my first point is, let's be honest. As God's people, if our walls are broken down, if our gates aren't working properly as a church, and Satan is coming in like a flood, Let's be honest about that and, and do something about it. If we want to go forward, um, depending what the problem is, maybe we need to do like Nehemiah did. Maybe we need to weep and fast as a church and get really serious about um, where we are at. Most of us here this morning probably have left our traditional churches that, that our um, parents or our um, grandparents were, whether it's Catholics or, or Methodist churches or um, the more conservative churches, and have been blessed by the movement that was started by Brother Danny Kettiston and Moses Stolzfus. But you know, both of those men are now in their grave. And now it's our turn. The revival that God blessed with those men who prayed and fasted and, and um, weeped blessed many people across this nation. But their life is over. And what are we going to do? I find it interesting here in Nehemiah that there's kind of three parts to this restoring the, the city in Jerusalem. There's kind of three um, different elements to it. The first one was Ezra. 
he came in, maybe he kind of brought a spiritual uh, condition there as he took some people back. But there was, there was no structure there. They, they were vulnerable. They were, they were not safe. There, wasn't, there was no, no gates there. Um, and back in those days, it just wasn't a good place to live if you did not live inside these walls. Point number two is, as we see here in Nehemiah, one person can make a difference. You young men, you're just one individual. Young ladies. But I want you to hear this this morning. You can make a difference. One person can make a huge difference. Did you know that Hudson Taylor, by the time he was 51... His, his burden for, for missions and God's people. By the time he was 51, there was 800 other missionaries in China. 18,000 or more converts from one man who carried a vision to take the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world. God put a burden on one man. Now there was... Many other people who helped Hudson Taylor. But I really want this to settle in your hearts that you can make a difference. Don't get this idea, well, I'm just one person. Make a huge difference. Nehemiah did and many others did. All of God's giants were weak men. All of God's giants were weak men who committed themselves to an almighty God. Think of David. Little, the little boy. And he takes some cheese to his brother and he is appalled by this idea that an uncircumcised man is on the other side of the valley intimidating God's people. How old is he? 17 maybe? I'm not sure. And he is, he is ready to take his sling and some stones and go fight this giant. All of God's giants have been weak men who have committed themselves to a God who is almighty. And as he stands before the giant, the giant mocks him. As you children, you read this over and over in your storybooks. We have this giant who has... 120 pounds of armor hanging on him. And he sees this little boy come with his sling. And you know what he says. Am I a dog that you come to me like this? This was just mockery to him. Am I a dog that you come to me like this? And he says, I come to you in the name of Jehovah. In the name of God Almighty. Point number three. Um, Nehemiah's humble prayer We have sinned. We have sinned. Can we, as churches, maybe? learn from this. And instead of 
pointing fingers at each other, <clears throat> instead of being so critical of each other, recognize that when there's sin in the camp, let's, let's look at this and, and look at it close enough that we're willing to say, what part did I play? Where have I had a breach that led to this? Nehemiah said, we have sinned. And he prayed and humbled himself. Um, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, we see that uh, the king notices Nehemiah's sorrow. And that's, that's another big thing for us as, as people is to stop putting on a facade. When something bothers us, let's, let's be real about it. Let's, um, let's learn to be honest and be transparent with, with uh, what we struggle with, with the burdens God is putting on our hearts. Here, in this case, the world empire, the king, noticed Nehemiah and noticed Nehemiah's sorrow and because of that, Nehemiah was able to get favor from an ungodly man, a heathen king, to work out God's mighty plan. I'd like to um, uh, bless you as a congregation here for this morning for what you have gone for you. I, um, I don't know you very well. It seems we know your young people quite well, but we don't, we don't know the older people. So it's been really good for us to be here. I hope to visit with more of you today. But as I was, as I was considering this message and as I was considering Nehemiah, I, I, I thought of situations in, in your um, church here that we have been blessed by. And I just wanted to encourage you that you have a lot of potential here with your young people. Um, it's not normal to host a, a group of young people and they voluntarily take your trash out of your wastebasket and take it out to the garbage. Or that they offer to wash your dishes. Now, if, if a young man has a dog in the race, maybe that's understandable. But when Brother Abe took our trash out to the dumpster, he, he had no dog in the race. And I didn't see it. He wasn't doing it to make a show of it. But my wife noticed that he, he pulls the trash bag out ties it up and takes it out to our trash container without being told. That's what I'm talking about, the difference that you can make as young people. And in case your head's going to swell, Brother Abe, God has a lot that he wants to do in you yet. He's not finished with you. You know that, right? 
So, Nehemiah. I'd like to see a bunch of Nehemiahs raise up out of this congregation. Men and women who are sold out and who get this vision. I talked to a young man yesterday who is burdened. And I could feel God's heartbeat thumping in his chest for a revival in this community. For God to work. And I'm almost scared for the young man that he's going to get so burdened that he's going to jump on the wrong ship to see it carried out. But it blesses me when a young man gets, gets burdened for, for holiness, for people to be right with God, for people to be restored, and so God's glory can be manifested again. I need to um, wrap this up. I'd like to conclude by four points here. See if I can make something a little more practical for you to take home. Number one is, do you mourn over the state of the churches? Do you find yourself at a place when there is sin in the church, where it causes you to weep or feel this godly sorrow? Do you carry that burden like Nehemiah did? We are the spiritual Israel today. We are the church. We are God's people. Do you mourn over the church? God is looking from heaven whose heart is perfect towards him. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth looking for those whose heart is perfect towards him. To show himself strong. Amen? God's looking for this. Number two, do you offer by God's grace a solution? It's one thing to identify problems, it's one thing to feel sorry about them or to, to grieve about them, it's another thing to actually want to be a part of a solution. And that's, those two go hand in hand. Don't become cynical young men or cynical old men. And young people, stay away from cynical old people. Because they will drag you down. Stay away from cynical old people. They just have a negative slant to everything in life the church, and believe it or not, it will affect you. We have a, a, a very wealthy farmer in our community who, who was a, a very handsome man. He's six, six foot four, and um, he has very good farming practices. Uh, him and his wife were not able to have children, and so he has taken on some young men. And now he has passed away. But you know, the young man who he has made the chief of his operation is took on exactly like him. He is so cynical. Even my children, when he comes around, they pick it up. Like, this is strange. 
It affects you if you're around cynical people. Rather than becoming critical, rather than pointing fingers at people, when you identify problems, young people, see how you can be a part of a solution. Be what you want the church to be. Okay? Just simply be what you want the church to be. Is that asking too much? Learn how to, to be under subjection. Learn how to love people. Learn how to care about people. Create and cultivate the love and faith obedience to Jesus Christ. Rather, now this is a big one, a love and a faith relationship, obedience to Christ, rather than hair-splitting dogmas. And those really pull us in, these hair-splitting dogmas, you know. Um, it, it can be to, you know, should we go to church Sundays or Saturdays? Or, or should we, um, what is the proper um, view of divorce and remarriage? And on and on and on. And, and you get so carried away with this. Jesus, when he comes back, you know what he's going to look for? How did you help the poor? Did you close the naked? Did you relieve the afflicted people? Did you visit the people in prison? You're not going to be judged on your, if you have the right view of, of divorce and remarriage or where the people go when they die. Not that those things aren't important, but learn to cultivate a love and a faith obedience to Jesus versus being the one who likes to strike up conversations, you know. Um, what's wrong about a wedding ring? Should we wear a wedding ring or should we not wear a wedding ring? I, I just cringe when I hear young people getting all carried away with, with these things. <clears throat> we follow Jesus by having compassion for those who are distressed. And I'm going to repeat that. We follow Jesus when we have compassion to those who are distressed. We follow him by showing people that we deeply love them and we care about them. Number three. This is uh, not specifically just to you young people. This is to all of you people. You know that you are blessed here to finally have reached an agreement and come to the place where you decided that you're going to have an ordination. And you're going to ordain brethren, men from among you, to take leadership here. To take up the role of a servant. You know that you are blessed by that? It's a tremendous blessing. And you don't know half of the way that God could bless you yet. But I have an assignment to you. Find out from your leader that you have here. What is your vision for this church? Where do you want us to go? What is your vision for, for this congregation? And then ask yourself, how can I complement and help implement this? How can I complement your vision and help implement this? For God's glory. Number one thing that's going to happen 
is if you do that, the people in Halsey are going to know that you're God's children. That you're Christ's disciples. If you love each other, if you care about each other, you will be blessed. And the last thing is, what role is the Lord calling you to play in the local body of Christ? What role is God calling you? Um, Are you willing to focus on that and not get distracted from that? Your callings aren't all the same. Okay? Your giftings aren't all the same. Some of you are called to be an encourager. Others are called to be more, um, maybe have more prophetic um, giftings, or maybe you have a more uh, a teaching gifting. I don't know what your callings are, but they are not the same. Focus on what you can do, and don't get distracted from that. Um, in the in the book that you're going through by Gary Miller called Church Matters. There's um, an interesting, few interesting paragraphs I'd like to read to you. I think you did them already. But I'd like, in this, the context of this message, I'd like you to consider this again. It's um, called The Church Bones and the Church Muscles. The Church Bones and the Church Muscles. And... Before I read these two paragraphs, I'm going to share some things about me. I, I'm a visionary. I would say I would fall under the category of muscles. I, can, I just dream about you know, where churches could go and, and, and don't care as much about you know, learning from history as much or or structure, I have more um, things I'd like to see you know, happen. However, there's brothers at Living Hope who are the bones. And as Gary puts it, these, these two muscles and bones need each other. Imagine if you were just muscle. I mean, I couldn't even stand here this morning if I'd be just muscle. Right? Our bodies need muscle and bones. And the churches need both. We need the people who are visionaries. We need the people who are rock solid, who don't move, who just, they they love tradition, they love stability. Church bones. As I look at our churches, I see some members who are like bones. They love structure, stability, and resist movement. They are consistent and predictable. Just who they are. They probably don't change much the way they dress. They are very predictable. You know what they're going to say in a brother's meeting. <laughs> and they're bones. When a suggestion comes from a brotherhood, they, go, they like to go back to history. They try to learn from errors in the past. They think long term, asking where each path might lead. The bones see the errors of modern evangelical church and they provide much needed stability but they also have weaknesses the bones tend 
to rely so heavily on experience that it is difficult, it is difficult for them to visualize a new path. When God commanded the Israelites to cross the Red Sea, I suspect there were some who were concerned. Imagine that. This has never happened before. I mean, this, this is, something's wrong here. I mean, we're going to walk across this sea? There's no way. They had never seen God work that way before. At times, the bones of the church are terrified by change and can keep a church from living to its full potential. They can be fearful of outreach and concerned that too much interaction with society will impact the church's holiness. So, good, good balance, right? They have tremendous strength, but they have a weak side to them. All right, church muscles. I also see individuals in our churches who could be considered muscles. They love action and spiritual life and want to see more movement. They are flexible and like to see things happen. When a suggestion comes from a from when a suggestion comes before the brotherhood that threatens to restrict movement, they will often ask, "Why don't we trust people more?" Does this sound familiar? It does to me. They talk about the need for spiritual revival and the importance of fasting and prayer. The muscles in a church provide much needed enthusiasm, life, and spiritual focus. They love to remind the church that there is a higher ground and they can do better. But muscles have weaknesses. They love spontaneity in church life and see little need for history. Sometimes in their desire to evangelize, muscles get too close to the world. After all, <coughs> souls are all, all going to hell. Why worry about insignificant details of dress or other cultural trends? They see little need for structure and brotherhood agreements. After all, if a church just listens to the Spirit, how can it go wrong? At times the muscles can become stifled by stability, longing for change without considering long-term ramifications. Very few of us, if any, could be classified as holy bone or holy muscle. Most of us are a combination. Yet as you read across these two categories, certain people likely come to mind. And God intended that both be a blessing to the body of Christ. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, I just pray that you as a church here, you're a small congregation, that you don't attack each other. Don't allow this autoimmune disease to enter into the congregation where the body destroys itself. And as, as you know, autoimmune diseases is when the immune system of your body attacks itself. 
And it's so hard to remedy that when somebody gets an autoimmune disease is because if you boost the immune system, you're actually feeding the thing that's destroying you. You have to be very careful with that. But don't let it get started here. Humble yourselves before each other and find out what, what you can do for the good of the whole congregation. Be a Nehemiah in your generation. Be the person, the one person who makes a difference so that Jesus Christ is lifted up here. So the, so the people in Halsey and back east are blessed. We benefit at Living Hope Christian Fellowship if you all here survive. You all benefit if Living Hope Christian Fellowship and many other churches in, in, in this nation do well. We benefit from each other. And that's, that's my encouragement to you from, from um, our congregation there to yours. I'd like to um, close with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask now that you would come, you would establish your perfect will in each of our lives, Father, as, as we go from here, Lord, as we um, go to the waters of baptism today, Lord, may the Holy Spirit be pleased, Father, as, and may there be an outpouring of your Spirit, Father, as another soul comes and is willing to make that um, completion, is willing to, in faith, step into the waters out of obedience to you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would bless this congregation their young people and their old people, they will see the need of, of joining even closer together, of meeting more frequently in these, frequently in these um, evil days we live in, Father. Bless them, we pray, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.